0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. Recently during a telemedicine exam, the doctor I was speaking to was going through a list of symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. And she said to me, have you struggled with anxiety or depression recently? And I looked at her and said, duh, and started laughing. And she was laughing. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone's escaped that. And while we were laughing about it, at the same time, I was thinking to myself, but seriously though, really, Is there anyone who has managed to escape those particular demons? Specifically, in the past couple of years, where anxiety and and sadness and illness has been a global phenomenon, a human race issue, where everyone on all the continents has been impacted. And then I started to really think about that and, and to think about my own journey with anxiety and with depression. And so I wanted to share today some of my experiences and about how I have recently addressed successfully my depression and anxiety. So come along with me on the ride in this edition of All That and Mo. If you're someone who is curious about kink and BDSM but has no doggone idea where to start, I got you. First off, I'm the co-author of a book called Playing Well with Others, The Guide to Exploring, Navigating, and Discovering the Kink, Leather, and BDSM Relationships. You can find that on Amazon, and I'll put a link in the description. But let's say you want a more personal one-on-one interaction. I got you, fam. Go to thekinkdoula.com. It's T-H-E-K-I-N-K-D-O-U-L-A. You may be familiar with the concept of doulas from childbirth, but What about rebirthing yourself? What about going deep within and uncovering the secrets and wondrous discoveries that maybe, just maybe have been hiding from you or you've been hiding from yourself for a long time? You wanna talk about your secret fetish, your kink? Perhaps just you're curious about how to expand your mind a little bit more into becoming the person you truly want to be. Contact me at thekinkdoula.com. And let's see who you can become. I've been a performer and an actor since the age of five, and I have been doing so professionally since the age of six. Therefore, it is really very difficult for people to conceive of the idea that I have very profound social anxiety. I have performance anxiety. To a certain extent, my performance anxiety is the type that crushes my soul up until 90 seconds before I walk on stage or before the camera hits me. And then I'm like, boom, I'm in the groove. I'm amazing. I'm flawless. I have the audience in the palm of my hand. But up until that point, I'm a mess and I'm terrible. And what the fuck was I thinking? And how dare I even walk on stage at all in my head anyway, right? And it's always been that way. And actually, if you speak to performers and actors, Generally, what you'll hear is people saying, the day that you are not nervous performing, the day that you don't have those butterflies is the day that you really actually are starting to have the problem. So nerves and anxiety is nothing new to us. For me in particular, the anxiety around performance starting as a child was not just from the performance itself. When I was a kid, we grew up poor and we did not have a lot of money. And both of my parents were working poor folks. We lived while I was very young in the projects. And then as my parents broke up and got back together, we lived in various different places that were not really wonderful. The last place I lived with my family as a family unit being the top floor of a six-story tenement building, Walk Up, and uh, on 97th Street, in fact, for those of you who know New York, it's very ironic and fascinating to be on one street where you have Rat and roach-infested tenements flip side with very expensive buildings with doormen and um, luxurious accommodations. Welcome to New York City. So for me, the pressure of auditioning was not just do I get this part? It was also would I be able to do my part to help the family pay rent this month? So the pressure was always quite intense for me. And while I had a love of performing and I absolutely love nothing more than hearing my agent call on the phone and say, you got it, kid, and then giving me the information for where the shoot would be and being able to be on set and all the excitement was really terrific and really amazing and also very stressful. I don't know that there's anything that can prepare a six-year-old child for the stress of understanding that if they don't get this role, it might mean that rent doesn't get paid this month or... Things are even tighter in terms of our bills. So it was a lot. Add to that growing up in a household with a father with some mental health issues and having to be hypervigilant to the point where I distinctly recall hearing the key in the lock and knowing exactly whether or not my dad was going to be in a bad mood that day. While he was not physically abusive, he was violent towards objects. He would frequently break things once including a saxophone that had gone askew on him. Something had happened with one of the series of keys, and I watched him very angrily take a ball peen hammer and smash an entire alto saxophone flat and then fold it up and throw it into the incinerator. And I'll never forget following him out to the hallway and watching as he opened The chute, and you could see flames in there because this was back in the day where incinerators actually incinerated and poured out gobs of blackened smoke into the skies across New York City. And part of my fear was that someday, one day, any day might come and it wouldn't be things he was smashing, but it might be us. And that anxiety carried with me that fear of at any point something bad could happen. And that really stuck with me. Anxiety as a child just becomes the way you live. I don't think that I had an awareness that worrying was something that kids, quote unquote, shouldn't be doing. I didn't really live with the mantra that, oh, children should have this carefree childhood. It was my job to work. It was my job to help to support the family. And I did that as well as I could, perhaps too well in that by the time I was old enough to really need that money, it was no longer there. When I went to school, I went to NYU to study theater. And unfortunately for me, in the year that I would have been starting the second half of my sophomore year, the funding that I was receiving from the federal government, because I was an outstanding student of color, was all cut. This was the beginning of Reagan's backlash against affirmative action. And so I was completely unable to afford finishing school, which caused a little bit of anxiety, one might imagine, especially since I had worked and geared myself since the age of six. And six years old, I knew I was going to go to NYU and be an actor. That's all I was going to do. That's all I could do. That's all I wanted to do. And then at that point, my life became off the rails. My plan, my my well-honed plan from the age of six had somehow gone askew. I grew up someone who knew exactly what they wanted to do and who they wanted to be. And I felt like I had to fight the world to become that person. The first time I felt myself struggling with depression was not long after my then boyfriend, Jack, and I moved to Los Angeles. And being fat and being black, it didn't really matter how talented I was. I was told in several auditions, if I lost weight, I could definitely get work. I was told in another audition, if I sounded blacker, I would definitely get work. So nothing about who I was, was organically acceptable to living in Los Angeles. And it sent me into a terrible funk. And I started seeing a therapist. I went to therapy. And at that time, I did not take any antidepressant medications. I thought talk therapy might be enough to help me. I lived in LA for five years, struggled with that, moved to the Bay Area then in uh, 1995 And realized that in addition to genuinely being depressed, I was struggling also with seasonal affective disorder, which was not a thing I even knew existed. Living in San Francisco, you may deal with months of overcast and the heaviness, the weight that I was carrying with me was shocking. And I developed some less than optimal coping mechanisms to deal with that sadness and to deal with my anxiety and my social anxiety, which I didn't realize was social anxiety. I just thought I was just stressed. And so a shot of Jack Daniels before I went out helped a lot, totally relaxed. Everything was great until it became two shots, until it became a problem, until I had to deal with my anxiety on its own terms, when I got sober. And sobriety will yank out all of those structures from underneath you. And you got to stand up on your own two feet and say, "woo," as they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, living life on life's terms and life is not fucking around. Let me tell you. The next time I tried to go full bore into talk therapy was after September 11th because I was just a fucking mess And my life had already been spiraling down into a situation of instability. I was between jobs at the time. And I was desperate. I saw a therapist who suggested antidepressants, which I did try. And it didn't really do much. I didn't feel better. I didn't feel less sad. I didn't feel any of the weight being alleviated. So unfortunately, for better or for worse, alcohol remained my friend. Ironically, because it's a fucking depressant, right? It's not an uplifting drug. It just isn't. And yet it is a numbing drug and worked quite well for me and became quite a companion over the next few years until I, as they say, hit rock bottom and decided that rather than die, I was going to try to live. And part of what living life on life's terms meant was that I had to cope with the fact that I was someone who was living with anxiety and depression. And how do I cope with that? Well, I tried several different rounds of medication. I tried talk therapy. All these things got me to the point where I was surviving, but I never, ever felt like I was thriving. Not really, not truly. Years of sobriety go by, and I'm getting better. I'm doing all right, but there's still that heaviness, and it would cycle back sometimes. The end of a relationship would trigger a massive downtime and just such heavy sadness. And I remember years and years ago hearing someone talking about how ketamine was a therapy that folks were using against anxiety, depression, PTSD, all of these things, this miracle. It's supposed to, and I'm thinking to myself, what ketamine? Isn't that like, fuzzy clothes and fucking glow sticks and shit. I don't, it didn't make sense to me that a tranquilizer would be something that would help with anxiety because isn't that bad? Isn't that the whole point is that you're being depressed even further? Well, fast forward to about a year or so ago when I was really on the struggle bus quite seriously with depression to the point where the flatness and the heaviness and the weight Was impacting my relationship with my partner and owner. And I just did not fucking know what to do, how to handle it. And across my field of vision came one of these articles talking about ketamine treatment again. And I looked at it and I said, I should really, I think I should look into that. Something about that is speaking to me. And I think it was, well, it was several things. First of all, it's not your regular antidepressant pill. Secondly, the course of treatment is something that is not locking you into a medication for the rest of your life. The idea that this, that, that ketamine could actually shift the way your brain is processing and make it so that after a certain point, you don't need any of those things anymore. Seemed too good to be true. And I'm like, this is some bullshit, but I'm very curious and I'm very interested. And it sort of Was on my radar, yeah. When you're like thinking about a thing, you're like, maybe this thing, maybe, and then it falls away again. I don't know about you, but I will get so deeply into shit, and then something else will come along, and I'll throw myself very deeply into that, and the first thing sort of just spins its little wheels over there. So I had some wheels spinning on the ketamine thing for about a year or so, and then I sank back into another sort of a another sinkhole and was chatting with a friend of mine who was a therapist. And I highly recommend everyone have friends who who work in mental health, not that they're going to analyze you, but they will poke you in the eye when you need a poke in the eye. So that's always very helpful. And while I was mentioning trying to maybe go and find a therapist again, and that I hadn't had any luck with maybe three different types of antidepressants I had taken. And they said, well, have you thought about this ketamine thing? I have a client who just is going through this process and has said it has helped them a lot. And I'm thinking, wait, hey, you know what? I was actually going to look into that. That was exactly the poke in the eye that I needed. Thank you so much. Opened Google, took a look around, found a place. There's several places in Manhattan, actually, that offer ketamine treatments. Here's the thing. It is not covered by insurance. It is not cheap. It is, in fact, quite expensive. And... One of the hesitations I had about even talking about this was, do I want to talk about something that's not in the reach of everyone? And then I had to say to myself, well, you know what? That's not the point. It's not my job to decide who can and cannot afford what. Because I'll tell you, even when I was broke as hell, when I really needed to take care of business and I needed to get shit done, I found a way to make it happen. So if anything I have to say today inspires you to maybe check this out and, and you're broke ass as I have been in my life. And you decide to figure out the way to make this happen, great. I don't have the right to dictate to people, well, maybe this is too much for folks, so I shouldn't share this news and this information and share my story. So I'm sharing it with the information and the caveat that this course of treatment is not available everywhere in the U.S. and it is expensive. Ketamine, what is it? It is a drug that you probably have taken if you have been sedated. It is very commonly used in sedation. Very commonly used in all sorts of surgeries just to keep you asleep. It's mild and it is pretty, it doesn't have many side effects. Now, what the ketamine infusion people are saying, and I will link some articles as well in the show notes so that you can read for yourself and see what the history and the science here on this is, is that the use of ketamine in certain controlled dosages under medical supervision can actually assist in altering the way that your brain processes the serotonin, right? And helps you to get to a point where you will eventually no longer need to even use a medication. And I'm thinking, what the hell? So I called these folks up. I said, I'm experiencing depression and anxiety. No shock there. Can you help me? This was around January, February of this year of 2021. And the way that the system works is you have an initial consult, a, a virtual consultation at this time, because COVID, right? And I had a, a, an hour-long chat with a therapist, and they did a medical history, listened to my story, heard about my previous attempts at treatment. And what was fascinating to me was that at one point she asked me if I ever felt trapped in my own emotional cycle, and I just burst into tears. And, and as I was crying, I thought to myself, holy shit, I, I didn't even realize how heavy that was. During the course of my intake, she was asking me about my history and I was telling her about my childhood and about growing up with a dad who definitely had PTSD and probably was also living with bipolar disorder and my mother who was very passive in the face of a lot of his crazier behaviors and all this stuff. And I'm just pouring it out. And she then asked me about how I had coped with the trauma of my childhood. And I immediately felt myself saying, well, I didn't really have childhood trauma. And she just like, there was just this pause. And as I'm saying this, I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, why am I not even acknowledging the fact that I had quite a bit of trauma in my childhood. Why have I backpedaled from that? Why am I not embracing that reality and coping with it? I had never given any credence to the weight of my own history. And that was some shit. I'll tell you that right now. After the hour of chatting with her, she said, I think that you may be a very good candidate for this type of treatment. And next step for you is to have an appointment with Dr. Brooks, who's the Doctor who runs this particular clinic, the New York Ketamine Infusions Clinic. Doctor Glenn Brooks is his name. And so, within a couple of weeks, I found myself sitting in front of Doctor Brooks, talking to him about the trauma that I had not previously acknowledged and what my anxiety and depression looked like. And myself asking him, "So, how the hell does it work? How the heck are you going to are you going to say that this?" treatment, this course of treatment could change the very nature of my brain cells so that I wouldn't need to take drugs for the rest of my life. And what was so fascinating is the idea that yes, there are receptors that can be trained, that can be moved, that can be nudged, that can be reopened, that can be exercised in ways that the ketamine assists. The course of treatment is this, you take initially six infusions in a rapid order So that's on alternating days. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Monday. So for alternating days, you go down to this office, you sit in a lovely relaxing chair, nurses come in, take your vital signs, discuss with you what's going to happen and the treatment, give you a little bell to ring in case something happens, hook you up to an IV with the ketamine and anti-nausea medications. And for roughly 60 to 90 minutes, you trip your balls off, basically. I had never done ketamine as a recreational drug, and I do not know what the doses that you are given in the infusion are compared to recreational levels. I do know that it was very disorienting and very strange to be sitting in a chair in a doctor's office, tripping, essentially. For me, a lot of the ketamine trip was about sinking into myself and finding portals and entryways into aspects of my psyche that I didn't necessarily have an immediate connection with. I had the idea that I was out of my body. I had the idea that maybe I didn't even exist anymore. I wasn't sure what having a body meant, Bruh, it was trippy as hell. And so after the first infusion, like you come out and within half an hour, you're totally fine, a little lightheaded, but nothing weird and i was like okay well one down six more to go after the first three infusions over the first six days i didn't feel anything going to bed getting up nothing i was like okay perhaps i'm one of the 25% of people for whom this has no impact at all because the general accepted rate is that for 75 to 80% of people this type of therapy is effective and helpful in alleviating their symptoms medium to long-term. After the fourth treatment, the day after, I remember getting up and taking a shower and uh, making breakfast for the Spouse Meister and um, checking my email. And then two hours later, sitting up and saying to myself, I don't think I have spontaneously gotten up and taken care of all this shit in years. It's always a struggle. It's always a struggle to get out of bed. And that day it was not. And I was just fucking gobsmacked. And I was like, okay, don't get excited. Don't get excited. You're not cured. It's not like everything's fine because it wasn't like everything was fine at a light switch. But I noticed that I got out of bed that morning without that horrid feeling of having to force myself and push through this veil of sadness or anger or tiredness or just grief or whatever to get my shit going in the morning. So I thought, okay, all right, well, that's something, that's something. Over the next three treatments, I felt incrementally less stressed about getting up in the morning. I felt less exhausted at the end of the day. I felt clear about making basic decisions, shit that had taken me 20 minutes before. Now I was back to my snappy, quick moving self. And it was, again, not this huge alteration, but just enough for me to say, I have a handle on things that I have not had a handle on in many years. So after the first six treatments, then what they recommend is that you do roughly every 30 days or so, what they call a booster infusion. And then over the next six months, probably roughly monthly. And then what they say is you'll notice that you probably won't need them as much. And the duration between infusions will probably extend. I will say for me, actually, the distance between the last infusion of the series of six and starting to see that sort of my my, my landmark of how I was getting out of bed started to drag again, was actually three weeks. And I was like, oh man, see, I'm like gonna already have this flowers for algernon moment where I'm back and everything is terrible again. So I called them and I said, I maybe this is failing, but I just I'm feeling sad again. What do I do? And they said, It's all right. It might be that you need a higher, slightly higher dose. We started you off on a moderate dose, and this is not. Crazy, it's not weird, you're all right. Come in for another infusion. We'll give you a slightly higher dose and then track it for the next time. And that's what they did. I went back in again, had another infusion. And that time it was a month. And after the month, it wasn't like everything was terrible again, but I did feel myself dragging a little bit. What's very fascinating is that once you are signed up for this program, they sign you up for a a tracking system. So you'll get get a text message every month or so saying, hey, this is your symptom tracker. Let's take this little quiz. And they'll ask you a series of questions about your mood, about your functioning. How are you doing? Yeah. And they give you a score and they track that score. And what was startling to me is that while I didn't necessarily feel day to day a huge shift, after the first three months, that score went from something like in the 40s to in the 60s. And again, I'm shocked because I'm thinking, okay, well, I answered those questions honestly as I could at the time. And cumulatively, I'm not seeing some massive change, but obviously something is getting better for me day to day. Second month, it was about four weeks, just about four weeks. Third month, about four weeks. Fifth month, I got to about five weeks before I thought to myself, well, hmm, yeah, I think it might be time for one of these infusions again. And one of the additional modalities that they offer is microdosing of the ketamine. And you can get, they will offer you a prescription for uh, a compounding pharmacy. Obviously, this is not some OTC thing where they're like, here's a jug of ketamine, knock yourself out. But I got a prescription. I have a prescription from a compounding pharmacy and microdoses that you take maybe once a week or so. Nothing that gives you a trippy feeling. You do feel a little bit Woozy, I do get a little bit woo, but that's about it. And since I have been utilizing that modality of the infusions as needed when I feel true dips in my moods, or if I see on my symptom tracker the numbers starting to sink back down again, then I would go back in for an infusion. Here's the thing I feel amazing. I cannot tell you how different my internal landscape is now, here in November of 2021, than in January of 2021. As a result of this treatment, I'm able to function. My problem-solving skills are back to where, rather than feeling absolutely beaten down and defeated by anything at all that is an issue, I am just taking care of business, whipping through shit and dealing with it. And it doesn't cause me undue distress. So I can safely say I am part of the 75 to 80% of people for whom these treatments have and continue to work. I won't say like a miracle because science isn't a miracle. Science is fucking science. It is what it is. So what's it going to cost you? The treatments are, I believe, 450 per for the series of six, and then thereafter monthly as needed. Yeah, it's not cheap. Here's the thing. Credit cards exist for a reason. Care credit, which is a credit card specifically for medical needs, exists for a reason. And the thing about care credit that is super helpful, and I can tell you I've taken advantage of them many times, is that... If you pay it within a year, there is no interest. And so it just allows you to break up a big medical cost into smaller pieces. For me, it was unbelievably helpful and worth it. I feel liberated. I feel as though this weight that I have carried with me for the majority of my life is not gone, but it's manageable. It has made me stronger. I don't think the weight is any less. I think that my strength and my emotional capacity to cope is what has been elevated. And it's a fucking, it's a fucking science miracle. Science can be miraculous, can't it? Our brains are miraculous, aren't they? I'm incredibly grateful that I had the opportunity to try this. I'm incredibly grateful that I live in a city where so many of these facilities are available. I think there's maybe three or four different places in New York. So that is an option. There are also more options available for distance ketamine dosing and ketamine therapy. I also tried because part of me was thinking, well, this is a bit expensive might it be worthwhile to migrate to one of these online groups? There's a, a company called MindBloom, I believe, that I did try in the midst of weaning myself off of the initial monthly infusions. And they have a similar routine where you have an interview with a therapist, they speak to you about your symptoms, et cetera. I told them that I had been doing the infusions and was thinking about perhaps moving to the in home model, which would not require me to go to an office and would also mean that while I'm traveling, I would be able to do the treatment they use an oral pill versus an infusion intravenously. What was interesting for me, and I did three different sessions with the Mind Bloom, was the first session I did was very profound. And interestingly, I actually accidentally swallowed more than I was supposed to. They have you do this whole thing where you have to hold it in your mouth, but not swallow it and then spit out the remaining portion of the tablet. It's like this dissolving thing. And I started choking. So I swallowed too much. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to overdose. on ketamine!" obviously not, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Well, what happened was, and it was kind of fucking remarkable. I had a true ego death experience. And what that meant was I was convinced that I no longer existed. I had moved on into another state of being. I was an atom in the universe zipping around and just being. I got to say that was really fucking cool. I had never had an ego death experience on any other recreational drugs that I had taken that oftentimes can provide that, such as uh, mushrooms, for example, or LSD. But I'd never had an experience like that, but I did with the ketamine. And with that particular modality on the mind bloom, I'll tell you what was fascinating. The ego death experience afterwards for me led to me realizing that my normal state of very high levels of fanatophobia, which is fear of death, I'm absolutely terrified of death. I can't even talk about it without getting shaky and a bit nauseous. But after that experience, it had entirely evaporated. For like a week, I had no... Nope. The spousemeister could talk about our upcoming funerals, which he loves to talk about. Austrians love to have the discussions about where we'll be buried what is my legacy? And I'm like, no, no, please, I can't do it. And I had these conversations, no sweat, no harm, no foul. Now, eventually it did creep back in, but I thought that was rather remarkable. It, having my brain have the experience of thinking it no longer was inside my body actually wound up calming me down for a good couple of weeks. Now I'm I'm back to not being super happy about it, but I will say I can now breathe through it a little bit better. So that was kind of a miracle. My second experience with the Mind bloom was taking it at home, I felt almost nothing. I don't know if it was a bad dose. I don't know if the dose expired, but whatever it was, nothing at all happened. So that was a bit disappointing. And I have not tried a third dose because I went back to the infusions because that worked well for me. The most recent infusion I had was about a month ago, and it had been over two months between infusions. When I started to feel again, I took the assessment and I was like, oh, that's, that's significant enough of a drop that I think it would be time for another infusion. But it was really fascinating to see that it had gone from month to month to six weeks to seven to eight weeks before I felt that, yeah, I might need that little kick in the butt again. And so I am an advocate I absolutely believe that for many people, this treatment can be helpful. I absolutely know that for me, it has been helpful just to hear from my partner that he could feel and sense the difference in my attitude and in my energy and in my spirit. It was just so satisfying, so very satisfying. And I feel really very fortunate and really very blessed A, to be able to afford to do this. B, to be in a place to be able to do it. And C, that it actually worked. I know folks might have questions and and or comments. Please feel free to send them in to me. I have an email, melina at allthatandmo.com. Or is it mo at allthatandmo.com? I'll have to double check (laughs) because I can't remember. Whatever it is, I will make sure to put a contact message down below so that if folks have questions that maybe I could address in a later episode or something along those lines, I'll do that. Thank you so much for listening. Please do everything in your power to take care of yourself because you are so fucking precious and beautiful and unique and worthy, mostly worthy. I love you. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon.